Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. And with me today are two members of our community who are going to acquaint us with a movement that is going to be important for the next couple of years in our diocese and really around the country. And that's the National Eucharistic Revival. And to tell us more about that, we have Father Albaca, who is the Director of Evangelization, and Deacon Modesto Cordero, who is the Director for the Office for Worship. And first of all, welcome both of you to our show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And before we go any further, Father, would you please open us with a word of prayer? Yes, thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Father, we praise you and thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray that that love that we have and that we understand between you and ourselves, that it will deepen, and especially by way of the Holy Eucharist. We pray that we will have a, a deep devotion and love for Jesus present with us, especially in Mass, adoration, and that that will help us to deepen our love for each other and to make a difference in the world spurred on by that uh, tremendous love of Jesus present in the Eucharist. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 In the Father, Father, Son, and Son, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. All right. So first of all, thank you again for coming. Let me just ask for those of us who are ignorant of this whole thing, what is the National Eucharistic Revival? And I think I'm going to start with you, Deacon. What is the National Eucharistic Revival, and, and why are we talking about it today? Yes, thank you again, Rick, for having us. Uh, this is an initiative that is coming from the uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops of the United States, and it's an initiative uh, that's going to take us through the whole next three years. And the purpose of this initiative, the mission basically, is to renew the Church by enkindling a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist. And that's the main focus of it. And the initiative, uh, the way that it's been put together, is been divided on three phases. The first phase, which we call the diocesan phase, is going to become and it starts with the uh, celebration of the Solemnity of Corpus Christi this year on the weekend of June 18 and 19. And that's going to take us all throughout the whole year until the next Corpus Christi in 2023. And then after that, the second phase will become the parish phase, where parishes will get more involved on having events and activities, and we can talk a little more about that through this podcast. And that will take us through another year until 2024. And then on 2024, uh, we are going to have a national conference, a National Eucharist Conference in Indianapolis. And at that conference, we are going to be sent out into missionaries, if you wanted to call it that way, and go out in mission for another year. So the whole initiative is supposed to go all the way until Corpus Christi or summer of 2025. Now, we, as Father Al and I, we were discussing, 
We don't want to call this the end of the initiative. It's actually mm-hmm. the beginning of the journey. That's right. The beginning of the journey as we are going to proceed with this new rekindling of the love for the Blessed Sacrament and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ on the Eucharist. Father, do you want to say something about that? Right. You know, the, the work of evangelization in general, it, it doesn't have a, a closing to it. It doesn't end. And the life of a Catholic in that uh, walk with Jesus, it never ends. Um, I remember uh, Teresa of Avila saying that if you get to a place where, you know, you're at that plateau, you're already beginning to fall back. And so you have to keep moving forward. And, and that's the spiritual life, right? And so... It's wonderful that the bishops have decided to to focus on especially the Holy Eucharist in order to move um, forward the mission of the church in the United States. So let me stop you and back up for just a moment. This is an initiative then that was thought of by the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, or who's right. behind the the origin of the movement? Well, Why Jesus is behind the origin of the movement. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> we about John chapter we, 6, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, we caught the inspiration, didn't we? Yes, um, and Bishop Cousins, maybe you can say a word about that, but um, Deacon. But um, really, I, I think we need to frame this in that little earthquake that hit the Catholic Church in 2019 of the Pew Report. Pew Report came out saying that Catholics really, uh, in general, we're not holding on to the doctrine of transubstantiation or the real presence, or that Christ is truly soul and divinity, body and blood. I forget now the statistics on it, but I remember that, and it was shocking. Well, it's about low. a third yeah. only that uh, That really hold. believe it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity That's correct. of mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. And that was, we might connect that to another report that came out from CARA, and that also it's the Georgetown group, right? And they were they were a little bit more positive as to the numbers, but I think we can all agree that this is this isn't something that oh eighty percent that's great okay we're doing fine we're not <laughs> it's got to be a hundred percent because this is so fundamental to Catholic life and Catholic understanding of God that um, it it really is the linchpin it really is the most important piece and um, maybe I can talk about some problems with that Pew report that are kind of interesting. But sure, at least to, to start off right now, maybe we can yeah, come back to it. We can come back to it. Yeah. But to start off, I think that was the thing that caught everybody's attention, and especially the bishops who were, were mortified. Well, and I know that our particular bishop here in the Diocese of Orange is one who's especially sensitive to Eucharist as being a, a very important thing to embrace, things the wrong term to use, element to embrace, in our faith, we have some bishops that are out there that have different priorities. Yeah. Our bishop, clearly, Bishop Van, has clearly placed Eucharist as important. He's behind our efforts here in this diocese. Yes, yeah. So you've been authorized by him to implement it here in this diocese. Correct. That, that's correct. Uh, actually, I, he appointed me as the point of contact for this revival Initiative. But, Thank you for uh, saying yes, Deacon. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I am so blessed that, that we had a, a wonderful team of people in the diocese that had all come together to work together for this. Because, as you said, uh, for this is a priority for him, a priority for all three of our bishops, actually, and and the importance of back up what the Conference of Bishops is asking us to do. So we are really excited uh, mm-hmm. for what we are planning for our diocese on these next three years and how we are going to bring again that love for the Eucharist back into our faithful, and especially through different 
events. You know, one thing that is very clear that was told to us uh, through the national conference is they don't really want us to to overload on events and activities. Right. Mm-hmm. It is the importance of the evangelization, the mm-hmm. importance of bringing back that love of Christ to the people and through the Eucharist. And, and that's what we are trying to do, too, is uh, to try to find ways in which we can transmit that message back into our diocese. Well, but we have huge numbers of events. We have Eucharist available every day, yes. and we're all supposed to take it on Sunday, or, or at least Saturday or Sunday. Those are all huge events when you start thinking about it. That's correct. I am finishing a PhD at, at UC Riverside in Religious Studies, and I was talking to a professor who teaches Hinduism, and she was emphasizing their mystical nature of their religion. And I mentioned Catholicism, and she kind of half laughed. And I said, no, wait, hold on a minute. Every believing Catholic has a mystical experience mm-hmm. with a direct encounter with God mm-hmm. at every Mass. Absolutely. And she looked at me with this, like the, the light went out in her, in her eyes for just a moment. I never thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you've never talked to a real Catholic before, Professor, but mm-hmm. that's what we all believe, or at least we're supposed to. But the Pew Report that you're bringing out is saying, we have some re-evangelization to do. Mm-hmm. So we now have three years that we're signing up for to join in with other bishops across the country and then eventually at the three-year mark to have this National Eucharistic Congress in Indianapolis, you said? Yes, correct. Start buying your tickets now. So we're looking at the first year being diocesan-oriented? That's correct. How is that going to fly? What What are you looking at doing with that? You said you're not having many events, but what are you doing with it? Well, one of the things that we're doing is to start with, uh, we are going to have what we call our kickoff event for the diocese, which will be uh, the celebration of the Holy Mass with the Eucharistic procession right here at the Christ Cathedral campus. That's going to be on Saturday, uh, June 18, 4.30 p.m., uh, we, so when you say a Eucharistic procession, you mean like around? We are going to take seven the, times, blow the trumpets, and see if the walls come down. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're going to go around. Seven. We are going to take the Blessed Sacrament out uh, from the cathedral, and we are going to walk around the campus, and we are okay. going to have uh, three separate stations in which we are going to stop and have some time for adoration and veneration and prayers and music, and it's going to be on three. Languages. We are going to have the Hispanic community start us off, continue with the Anglo community, and then end it with the Vietnamese community. That's fantastic. So we are going to. Our begin, Lady of Levang is going to be there. <laughs> well, we are going to begin on the baptistry side of the cathedral, going around behind the campus, all the way ending at the shrine of our Lady of Levang. Okay. That's so it, it will be a wonderful event, and we hope to get a lot of people to attend and, and, and join us that date. That would be fantastic. So you're going to be starting off with a procession and mass that evening, and then you've got a year where what are we looking at? What's the plan for the year roughly? Sure. Well, one of the things that we are looking is how we can incorporate the different aspects of our diocese, like the youth and young adults, vocations office, religious and religious education. So each of them had already events prepared throughout the year 
that we are trying to incorporate them into this year also. And we actually are going to have some pre-events before June 18. The young adults are having an evening on June 10 at St. Anthony Marie Claret. And they are bringing in a priest, uh, Father Agustino Torres, which is one of the recognized priests that the Conference of Bishops in the United States has appointed as one of the Eucharistic preachers for this <laughs> initiative. And it just happened that he was already booked to come to our diocese on June 10. So he is going to make his talk around the Eucharist. And, and this is an event that's been hosted by Corazon Puro Ministry. And again, it's going to be on June 10 from 7 to 9 p.m. at St. Anthony Marie Claret. So where, where, what town is that located in San Anaheim. 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 It's okay. right here on Anaheim. And, and that will be kind of our pre-kickoff. Right. And that's with the young adults. And they actually are having a series of events throughout the entire summer. They are all going to be connected into the Eucharist. And then in October, we are going to have a mini conference. It's called the Evangelization Now Conference here on the main campus. And that also is going to be tweak around the message of the Eucharist. And that is going to be open to everyone. It's most uh, a ministry, religious education, but open to everyone. So that's what we had just to start. But we have more things that coming up uh, for the rest of the year that I can speak about later on. That sounds fantastic. I'm already getting excited about this. When we come back, I want to hear not only more about what's going on with the diocese, but I want to hear a little bit more about why this is so important, because it's not just a matter of having program. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of trying to touch the souls of the That's people right. who are responding. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Father Albaca, Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Orange, and Deacon Modesto Cordero, who is director for the Office of Worship here. And when we come back, we're going to talk with them more about the Eucharistic Revival Movement, the National Eucharistic Revival, which is a three-year program that is being sponsored not only by the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, but embraced and magnified here in the Diocese of Orange. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Father Albaca, Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Orange, and Deacon Modesto Cordero, who is the Director for the Office of Worship here. And we are talking about the National Eucharistic Revival, which is a three-year program that is sponsored by the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, but is being embraced broadly by the Diocese of Orange, for which Bishop Van is very enthusiastic and has placed Deacon Modesto here in charge of trying to make this thing all happen. And he's got a number of things that are happening. It's going in three parts. The first year is focused on the diocesan-level material, and the second year is going to be more parish-level. You were talking about kicking off. There is an event coming up June 10th. That's in Anaheim again. What was that one about? Yeah, that's going to be a San Anthony Marie Claret, and is an event with the young adults. Okay. And we have a priest coming, Father Agustino Torres. And he's uh, he's a, an appointed preacher from the, the National Conference of Catholic Bishops to preach on this. That's correct. Okay. He's one of the preachers appointed. And then about a week later, you have the official kickoff. 
which is going to be uh, the celebration of the Holy Mass with the procession around the main campus here on the cathedral, and that is on Saturday, June 18. This is the weekend of Corpus Christi, which is the weekend that the Catholic bishop has asked us, the whole nation, to start. And then you mentioned that in October you've got a an evangelization Workshop? It's conference? a conference. It's a conference. That's, that's actually my backyard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we we used to call it DMC, and that that stretches way back. Oh, yeah. No, I I I know what you're talking about now, okay. but the rest of our listeners might not. So explain this, please. Well, it was really built for catechists for for school yeah. teachers to keep their basic certification going and every year and then maybe learn some new things. We had a lot of speakers that would come to Modern Day High School, and it would all take place there, a whole day event. And Bishop Van, when he came in, he asked if we could expand that, change that. So now it's called Evangelize Now Conference. That's what it's called. And uh, every year, third week of October, we have that in the diocese. And um, there are three speakers, three presenters for each language, Vietnamese, uh, Spanish, and English. And it begins with Mass in the morning with our bishops and everybody and then we have a Eucharistic procession to the Lady of Levang Shrine. And then the Lord is in the large gallery room during uh, the rest of the uh, conference day. And then we have the conferences going, and then we end with benediction. And so it ends around 4 o'clock. So this year, because well, it just seemed very natural to take um, what we had planned with our speakers already and move that into the direction of Eucharist and thread it in. And, and they were happy to do that. So we're, we're all in a good place with that. Uh, so October 15th. And you mentioned Saturday. that that used to be focused primarily on the religious studies teachers, religious education teachers. Yes. It's open to everyone? Now? It's open to everybody, and it's free. And so you have to register for it. You have to register for it. Okay. But we'll, you know, if you come in and, you know, you, you just end up walking through, we'll, we'll take you in. But the it helps us though to plan for uh, you know yeah. all the little details if people register. Right. But that will be October fifteenth. Begins around nine. Is there anything else that's going to be going on during the year for the diocese? Yeah. When uh, I mentioned earlier, we are asking every director and departments in the diocese that their events they're already planning mm-hmm. that they can redirect them to be more into Eucharist okay. theme. And so we are working with other events. I know that it's going to be in January. Uh, Los Angeles always do the one LA Life That's a huge e- event. event. Mm-hmm. So, and we do our own over here pre that event to get the people ready to go there. So we are trying to work with that to coordinate the event to be connected. And I understand that already Los Angeles are planning to have their event this year to be based on the Eucharist too. Mm -hmm. So that will be a great connection there. We are working also with the Office of Family Life to see what things we can bring into that aspect. And they always have a celebration around February uh, on marriage date and with marriage couples. So we are trying to see what we can incorporate into that. And we also even trying to think about a possibility to have an ecumenical event too. Yes. So we've been talking about that mm-hmm. uh, to see how we can bring our brothers and sisters together from others, denominations and groups to join us on this mm-hmm. celebration. And so uh, that's that's kind of the things that we have uh, work right now. We 
little details. That's that, enough. I mean, we're, yeah. we're, we're looking at trying to get people refocused yes. long-term, and we're taking three years to do it. Mm-hmm. As you put it, this isn't meant to be a three-year cycle, then we're done. This is more like a three-year training, and then we're started. And we're started. Mm-hmm. That's correct. That's correct. Because you remember, Eucharist always leads us to action. So it never remains a privatized affair. Uh, Christ comes to us so that we can bring him to the world. And so uh, I want to underline something you brought up, Rick, which is this is not all about events. Events are important, Mm -hmm. and we're going to put a lot of love into the events. But really this is about um, spirituality. It's about deepening person's love for Jesus, um, and, and especially through the Holy Eucharist. And I want to remind listeners that uh, maybe don't know that Bishop Johnson, our first bishop, uh, started a wonderful program, which was Eucharistic adoration all night long, once a month for every parish. And almost all our parishes um, uh, do that already. And that was started for uh, the sake of the, the diocese, to pray for the good of the diocese, but also for vocations. And um, this is something that has been embedded in our diocese from the very beginning as a love for adoration. And um, it's not a hard sell, actually, because our people love adoration. At the parish that I'm at, that I live at, um, I work at the cathedral, but I live at Blessed Sacrament in Westminster. And the Blessed Sacrament is exposed every single day. Mm-hmm. So from morning uh, after the last Mass until um, late afternoon, the Eucharist is there. And people are always there. It's just a wonderful thing. So I don't know if everyone knows this, but what you're saying is that there's Eucharistic adoration available in Westminster all the time. All the time. So any of our listening audience can come in from anywhere, yeah. which our listening audience goes all the way up in, into into Santa Barbara, all the way mm-hmm. down to San Diego, because mm-hmm. we've got both radio stations in Southern California broadcasting this. And we're not the only ones that do this. But the but no, I will it's say, wonderful that you are. Yes. <laughs> but And on weekends, we have 12 masses, yeah. 12 masses for this Sunday celebration. So it's a very active parish. The masses are full. It's beautiful. Um, we just had our festival a couple of weeks ago, and we had more people than we've ever had even before COVID. Now, that might be because people want to want to get out of their houses. But it was really wonderful to see, and no incidences, no, nothing negative, and, and it was packed with people, and especially young people. And we had the rides and all those things, and and I was talking to the pastor, Father Twin Nguyen, uh, who's a wonderful pastor there, and, and he was telling me, you know, it's just great to see, you know, where do you get all the young people together mm. for something that's safe, happy, good, and it happens to be on the grounds of the Catholic Church, you know. So it's it's soft evangelization, you might even say. Yeah, it's mm. certainly soft evangelism. Like that. And there was there is a, another piece of this, too, which the bishops realized when they were putting together their ideas for the Eucharistic revival, that it touches also on confession, on the sacrament of penance. And so there's going to be some, you know, elevation of that that well, sacrament. That, that raises the question that I had in the back of my head, and I, I think we're only going to be able to open the can of worms a little bit right now. <laughs> but it's kind of the so what thing. I mean, it's we've got, as you mentioned, this isn't all about uh, uh, events. This is about trying to get back to the Eucharist. Right. My question is, why is that so important? And I don't want that to sound blasphemous to ask it that way, but realistically, we've, as you pointed out, so many Catholics have so many different ideas about what Eucharist is and isn't, mm-hmm. how it's efficacious and how it isn't, mm-hmm. what grace is conveyed and what isn't. Mm-hmm. 
for example, we just recently had in the headlines Archbishop Corleone telling one of our major um, political leaders not to present herself. Mm-hmm. And some people said that was out of mercy. Others said that was being used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And people are on both ends. So my question comes down to why is this so important now? Well, I think uh, the bishops, wherever they fall on that question. I, um, I didn't mean to go there so much. Just as an example of well, how I the mean. spectrum is. Yes, yes. But but the more fundamental thing, which I think we we all appreciate, is that they love the Eucharist and they understand how important a piece that is to Catholic life. And um, regarding the, you know, the reports that have come out, Pew Report, Cara, one of the the difficulties is that um, if you maybe saw from Greg uh, Erlinson, who's the director for uh, Catholic News Service, and he put out a really interesting piece where he talked about that the words used are very important in these statistical approaches. And sometimes the wording is is not precise enough. And so one of the things that Pew said was, does the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ? Which means you have something of a, you're looking for a visual response too. Yeah. And that's not what that's we not, believe though. No, we don't. Yeah, we believe that um, the bread and wine become the body and blood of Christ, even though- You can't see it. You can't see it. You, yeah. it's, it tastes the same and so forth, but it, it's radically- changed and different. So one of the things that he said, and one of the things that I, I can attest to as a priest is that when I see people came up, coming up for Holy Communion, when I talk to them about Holy Eucharist, there's a, a love and an understanding that Jesus is there. Now, our problem, I think, is vocabulary. Our problem is words, yeah. that our people don't know how to say it anymore. They they feel it, they know it, there's something there, but we have to teach again um, a common vocabulary, I think. And we did before, transubstantiation and, you know, real presence, these kind of guiding words uh, in a mystery that is truly a mystery. For me, is is this initiative is just bringing us back again to the basics of our faith. Mm. You know, what we've been called to believe and what is that we are about. And we are Eucharistic people. We are people that are about the Eucharist. You know, the Eucharist came straight from Jesus Christ mm-hmm. when he instituted in, in the Last Supper. And I think with the society that's so broken today, and I think that we can agree on everything that's happening today, so many killings and, and things happening, I think that we need to be called back again to what we are doing best, which is gathering at the table, breaking bread together, and recognizing that Jesus is there for us to be with us and to guide us. And I think that that is what we are called to do. And and this revival, probably, I think that's what we're trying to do, is to bring the people back again to that basic, to that table, to share that bread, and to share and place on the table, you know, our sorrows, our problems, our tribulations, and to, as community, work together, knowing that Christ is there for us. All of us Christians have in common at least Eucharist and baptism. Mm. And we may have differences of opinion on what Eucharist is, but we all acknowledge that it, the original intent for the, the communal aspect of it was just that, to remind us of our communion with Jesus Christ, therefore our community together. And if I hear you right, Deacon, that was one of the chief importance of this particular movement is to yes. remind us of our unity. Well, and, and Eucharist changes us. That's the bottom line. 
You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Father Albaca and Deacon Modesto Cordero, and we're talking about the National Eucharistic Revival, which is coming to our diocese this summer, and it's going to last for three years. When we come back, Father, you just said something that, again, opens that can of worms. It changes us. I want to talk a little bit more about how so and why they're for these three years are so important. And we will be right back. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope on the campus of Christ Cathedral, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today is Deacon Modesto Cordero, who's the director for the Office for Worship, and Father Albaca, the director of evangelization for the Diocese of Orange. And we're talking today about the National Eucharistic Revival, and we've been talking about how it's going to be a three-year program. Uh, it's starting with a kickoff event on June 10th in Anaheim, and then on the 18th fully, and it's going to last for about three years in different ways. When we just left, Father had said something very interesting. Eucharist changes us. There is something that's different about Eucharist from any other thing that we do as Christians. We actually encounter Christ in a physical, spiritual encounter. And I, when I was a Protestant becoming Catholic, so I was in the trying to understand what it was, once I had been sold on the idea, this is true, now what is it I'm buying into? I w- it was explained to me that the words that Protestants use are often turned slightly around, so that when Catholics, for example, are using the word substance versus accidents, which is really mm-hmm. a, an Aristotelian mm-hmm. set of terms, think of it as body and spirit. What happens when your spirit leaves your body? <laughs> You're dead. <laughs> you still have a body here, mm-hmm. but it's not the same. So what's the real you? The real you is that spirit on the inside, but it is only communicated through the body on the outside. That's similar to how the substance in the Eucharist operates. The bread and wine on the outside is still bread and wine-ish. It still comes across as being like bread and wine, but kind of like the spirit inside your body, inside of you, what makes up that bread and wine is no longer bread and wine. It is Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. What you might call the spirit of a person, we would call the substance of the Eucharist. It's similar to that. Father, does that set with you as an analogy? How would you? It does. That? It does. And I, and I think it's very difficult in today's world to, to speak of these categories because most people aren't, they don't grow up with, with these words and these ways of. They weren't trained in Aristotelianism. No. <laughs> and so it's kind of an up, upward, you know, trying to get there and get people to understand a little bit of philosophy and how useful it is. Even in our colleges and universities, they used to do a great job of teaching basics of philosophy, metaphysics, and so forth. No matter what you were going to go into, you had to take certain courses and so forth. And that really has fallen off a lot. We used to call that a liberal education. <laughs> That's right. That term's been, That's been right. changed a little. <laughs> yeah. And now we have a crisis in education. It's a serious crisis, and that, that might be good for another, another show. <laughs> another show, but that's going to be a, an issue, and it is an issue for um, the future for the church, too. But I think we've entered into an age which is skeptical, right? And um, that sense of skepticism has entered into the believer. 
and unfortunately it pushes to uh, putting everything to doubt, including maybe the Eucharist, you know, prove it to me. Well, we can actually uh, give an answer to that when we talk about Eucharistic miracles, which are many and beautiful all through the history of the church, even to the present. But fundamentally, it is always a question of faith. And uh, even in the greatest of miracles, there's always room for doubt. And and God does that on purpose because we have to make the initiative is there, but we have to take the next step to say, I believe, you know, like Thomas, I suppose, I believe. I think if God wrote in the sky in big fiery letters, Mm. I am he, worship me, Mm -hmm. everyone would fall down to worship, but not necessarily for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And people might think, oh, that's very clever. You know, the government's able to do that now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's that kind of skepticism out there now. So you wonder that even if a a great miracle were to happen, will people, there's going to be some people that just cannot believe it because there's been this breakdown in trust. Wow. So when we're talking about Eucharist and what we believe, when I was a Protestant, the essential elements of Christianity focused on our faith in Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ operates to save us. Yes. It was a belief and then live out that belief. How is it different for Catholics? Because we do that too, but we don't just do that. Do we? Well, we certainly do. And, and it it's all about an approach actually, because we obviously have the right teaching. It's a pure teaching. It's beautiful. Years ago, on a, a number of occasions, I met with Father B- Benedict Rochelle and uh, would talk to him about certain things. And I interviewed him a couple of times. Okay, man. wonderful man. man. <laughs> and one time he shared with me, he said, you know, when Catholics have their first connection to the church and not to Jesus Christ, when a problem hits, scandal or something nationwide, worldwide, or just in my parish, um, a lot of Catholics fall. They can't deal with it. But if you have your relationship first with Jesus Christ, he teaches you how to love his bride. That's what he used to say. He teaches you how to love the church. And he said, those folks won't fall away. And they will pick up the cross and they will keep walking, you know, with the church and loving her. And I always appreciated that very much because I think we were very, very good about the intellectual side of things. And we, you know, we had the Baltimore Catechism. We had all these wonderful things that... You know, over the years, even our, our great uh, Catholic catechism given to us by St. John Paul II. But if it doesn't begin first with a relationship, then it becomes obligation, duty, and um, that's not a real wonderful way to live religion. So when we're looking at Eucharist, you know, I go back to, I think we were talking earlier about the woman with the hemorrhage for ten year, for 12 mm-hmm. years. And then she reaches out and touches Jesus' garment. In fact, I think he was on his way to heal a 12-year-old girl. That's correct. And it isn't her act of faith at the beginning that saves her. It's only when she completes it by actually physically touching the garment that the miracle takes place. Mm -hmm. And Jesus feels the power leave him. Mm -hmm. And I kind of compare it to an electrical circuit. That's how it's described. Right. And he asks, who touched me? And they all kind of laugh at him. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. No, no, somebody touched me. There's a physical, Mm. spiritual dynamic in the Eucharist that's just different than what many other Christians have who aren't Catholic. Right, and and that's a beautiful um, example to bring up, Rick, because um, just 
as you said it, who touched me? And and obviously there were many, many people surrounding him and pushing and pulling and touching him. And he says, who touched me? That's the difference there. Um, it wasn't just a, even just the physical touch either, but it was the combination of the physical and the spiritual together. And so this woman who touched him, who, who actually took the step to reach out to him, also in her, her soul was already preparing herself for hope, with hope for um, something to happen. We believe as Catholics that there is a, therefore a, a spiritual conveyance of grace directly through the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And there is, it's a different way of looking at grace than what a lot of other non-Catholic Christians have. Mm-hmm. And that way of looking at grace, like we, like mm-hmm. we saw in this woman, and as you were pointing out, that woman had to touch him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how we also look at living out our morality mm-hmm. and that our moral lives are a reflection of our faith in many ways. Right. And so, for example, right. if I'm a married man, I can say I love my wife, but I am certainly demonstrating the opposite if I go out and commit adultery. Mm-hmm. And the same is said for Catholics who are engaged in immoral lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It has to do with our physical, spiritual dynamic. Mm-hmm. And Eucharist is a part of that in that if we're in a state of grace, it helps in a physical, spiritual way strengthen our resolve. Mm-hmm. Well, I marvel at how, how if you just reflect a little bit on the Blessed Eucharist and, and what we have in this gift from our Lord from the Last Supper, it, it's mind-boggling. And really what it comes down to for a, a lot of our Protestant uh, brothers and sisters or even uh, Catholics is it's just too good to be true. It's too good to be true. Could yeah. it be that simple of an approach? Could it be that real that he wanted to leave himself behind and and at the same time be in heaven and not leave us orphan, right? Well, and what's interesting there is it's not just a symbol. Yeah. It is a symbol, but it is not just a symbol. Well, it starts out a symbol, yeah. bread and, and, and just, wine. But just as Jesus himself is a symbol yeah. and far more yes. than just a symbol. That's right. That's right. And so that... But what if every Catholic really made the decision to believe in a mystery that is beyond them, the way we always have? And and by the way, it's not just us, but the Orthodox churches, the Oriental Orthodox churches, they also believe the same thing we do. Mm-hmm. All the ancient churches believe the same thing that we do about the Holy Eucharist and, and almost everything else, too. And so it's not just um, a Catholic thing. Yeah. And I, I keep reminding people about that, too. So you, you want to know what, what the church closest to the time of Jesus Christ, living in this world, what it believed. Look at the Catholic and the uh, Orthodox churches, and you'll see that we have maintained what was given to us. It's interesting to talk with uh, non-Catholic Christians in the United States. They're often surrounded by other Protestants, because that that's there's a, a lot of Protestants in the United States. Sure. But if you look at the numbers throughout the world, if you combine the Catholics with the Eastern Orthodox, the Coptics, the Assyrians, the, the, the ones who began as apostolic mm-hmm. and may have split over issues, but they didn't deny the faith. Mm-hmm. That's the vast majority of, of Christians today, mm-hmm. even if it's not the majority in the United States. Mm-hmm. 
That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. And, it, you know, the splits are, are have a lot to do with personalities and politics sometimes, history. But you're right. And the sun. When it comes to... <laughs> yes, really okay. <laughs> but when it comes to the, um, the centrality of the sacraments, uh, we held that together pretty well. We have held it together pretty well. Yeah. We have differences in how we go about doing it. I know in mm-hmm. many Eastern rites, they'll take a, a, a little spoon, sure. and you actually put your head back, and they'll spoon it into you. Sure. But it's still the body, blood, soul, and divinity conveyed right. through the elements that were at one time bread and wine. Right. And it's still the same that it, we have throughout the world. Some of the trappings may be different, but there are words of institution, and there is conveyance, and you need to be in a state of grace. Mm-hmm. And it helps strengthen our grace, both in our acceptance, because we make a, a statement of, of faith when we go up to receive, mm-hmm. and in our soul on a mystical level that we don't understand, it strengthens us as well. Right. Is that correct? Uh, absolutely. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today is Father Al Baca and Deacon Modesto Cadera. Father Al is from the director is the director of evangelization for the Diocese of Orange, and Deacon Modesto is the director for the Office for Worship. And we're talking about Eucharist, but we're talking about Eucharist because we've got a very special time coming forward, starting this year and then extending in different ways for three years. The National Eucharistic Revival is being kicked off, and that's uh, happening throughout the United States, and it is being embraced fully in the Diocese of Orange. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about how people will be able to get involved at the parish level, and then how this, how you envision this moving forward. Uh, when we come back, I'm looking forward, Father, to hearing and Deacon to hearing how it is that you hope, or that the bishops hope, this is going to change the church, even in a small way. And we will be right now. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today has been and continues to be two very important people this year who are going to help bring about the embrace of Eucharist more effectively, I believe, in the Diocese of Orange. And that is Father Al Baca, who's the Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Orange, and Deacon Modesto Cordero, the Director for the Office of Worship. And not just because of them, though their leadership is very important. They're in the process of putting together, with the help of many, many people, the National Eucharistic Revival as it's going to be experienced here in the Diocese of Orange. And we were talking earlier, Deacon, about how this year the focus is going to be on the diocesan material you had some more information you wanted to get out to people about things that are coming up, and then I want to know how it is that this is going to transition to the parish. Well, as we said earlier, the first year is the year for the diocesan level uh, events or activities, and one of the things that we are really excited about it is that we are going to end our year, uh, diocesan year, with an Eucharistic Congress here in the diocese, which has already been planned for October 21st, 2023, here on the campus. And that is going to be a huge event for us. Uh, we are planning to have three separate tracks and three different languages, uh, Spanish, English, and Vietnamese. We are planning to bring speakers from different places uh, to cover all those tracks. 
And again, that will be the end in a way of the celebrations at the diocesan level, but not the end of our diocese celebrations. And we hope that as we begin the second year, which is the year for the parish level, that the parishes will join us on coming out with different, more local events that we will, as a diocese, will support them. One of the things that we are looking is as a renewal on the ministries, liturgical ministries of the church, and understanding uh, the mission and the responsibilities that we have all as ministries of the church of bringing back the Eucharist to the people. And we know that many parishes are already actually uh, planning uh, activities and planning uh, their own Eucharistic processions around the diocese. So that will be also another area that we're going to be looking at. Uh, one of the things that we are really excited also is that we had already put together a website that is available uh, for people to go in. Is the RCBO stage at rcbo.org slash revival. Okay, say, say that again, Deacon. Yeah, it's rcbostage.rcbo.org slash revival. Or you can go actually to our diocesan website and type revival, and okay. it will take you there. And one the R- the f- RCBO stands for Roman Catholic Bishop of Orange. That's correct. For, for the few believe- for the few listeners who don't know that yet. Yes. And one of the things that we are planning to have there is a, a calendar of events and activities for the entire diocese and, and parishes. What we are planning to do also, we are in the process of collecting information of all the parishes that do have on their regular basis uh, adoration, exposition, benedictions, and we're going to post that in there so people will know where to go and they want to spend some time with the Lord uh, during these couple uh, common years. And and also what parishes are planning to have processions, uh, Eucharistic processions. Uh, we are going to have also information there so people can go and and participate in those events. So so that's just just a little of what we are planning and to do and, and start working together with the parishes to come out with more opportunities to embrace and and continue to speak about the Eucharist. And, and you asked us about what is that we expect out of this. Well, again, I, I think what we expect is to have the people to get excited again, in love again with Jesus and, and the mystery which we were speaking about earlier of having him present with us. You know, the Lord told us, I on your midst. And this is one more way that he is on our midst in the presence of, real presence of him in the Eucharist. You know, providentially, Rick, we, this last Holy Week, we had um, a visitation of the seven churches. We restored something that used to be in our diocese uh, many years ago. It actually is inspired probably through St. Francis de Sales uh, way back when. But it is... um, a taking time and reflecting on the mysteries of Christ uh, from the Last Supper until crucifixion. And so how it works is you have Holy Thursday night after the, the last celebration of the Lord's Supper, then normally the Blessed Sacrament would be taken to a place of repose and placed in another tabernacle um, until midnight. But now the Missal which guides um, the priest and celebrations of sacraments of uh, the Eucharist, now allows for that time to be extended to Good Friday morning. So we've done that, which allows people to do this custom or this this great um, tradition we have of visiting seven churches 
And at each church, there is a different meditation. And we put all of these on a QR code. We put them in different languages. We had all the churches listed who were participating. And if you went to one church, we could show you where uh, all around that church were other churches if you didn't want to go to somewhere very far away. And uh, the meditations were in English, Vietnamese, Spanish, and Korean. And it was beautiful. Beautiful. It went yes. really well. Well, we had over 32 parishes that joined us uh, oh. this year. And and I recall going to one of the parishes around 2 o'clock in the morning. And I was so emotional touched mm-hmm. with the amount of people that were there and people from all ages, you know, uh, young people, adults. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, right there kneeling, spending time with the Lord. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of the events that we are hope to continue doing, mm-hmm. uh, especially this next couple of years with this Eucharistic mm-hmm. Revival uh, initiative. And, and we hope that we are going to be able to extend it to a way that every parish mm-hmm. will in the diocese will join us so that everybody will have the opportunity not to only go to seven, Oh, Spend right. the whole night and visiting right. as many as you can. So events are important, but and we're talking about events, and that kind of takes in these things, which are are more than events. They're pilgrimages, pilgrimages, service, mm-hmm. their their prayer time, right? Yeah. And um, getting down finally to, as uh, Sherry Waddell and others um, keep talking about, uh, how important it is to connect with the heart and the soul. Otherwise, um, these things become action without yeah. without connection. Now, I yeah, would I, like to I, say... I, I don't think the woman with the hemorrhage would have received the grace if it was just an action. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Her faith had saved her. And the what I would like to see in a parish um, would be that priest and especially um, extraordinary ministers of the Eucharist, how do they approach what they're doing? And so um, is it with devotion? Is it with love? It shouldn't be hurried Lord knows, usually we're, we're working with an hour to, um, complete. Probably eight to 12 minutes. <laughs> right. And so, no, it better not be. And so, um, the, and, and so how do we do that and still communicate to people the love that the priest has even for what he's doing and, and the love that the Eucharistic Extraordinary Minister of Communion has when he or she is giving out, um, communion and that we do these things thoughtfully. We don't rush, um, and uh, we somehow get across to people, I believe. And when we're able to do that, that builds up the faith of the people, mm-hmm. you know, in the pew. One of the things that's, that I think is um, important to also stress in this, because you were mentioning earlier on how you believe that this is going to be a lar- it's going to lead to a larger embrace of of faith in general and all of the aspects of it. There's almost a, an understanding in some parts that Eucharist is a, a rite. It's not just symbolic, but it's something almost that uh, we take for ourselves. And it's that's it's the wrong way of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. The Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 11 gives us a very stern warning. Now, it's an early church level warning, so it's it's got some really direct language. But it makes it very clear that the Eucharist itself is something that God gives us to those of us who are prepared to receive Jesus Christ with love. But for those of us who are not prepared, it doesn't repair us. No, it has. It, it, it brings about our enhanced guilt. Yes. As a new sin, essentially, of sacrilege. Yes. 
which is one of the reasons why someone who's denied communion, bishop's actually doing them a spiritual favor. Correct. And yes. it's not really a denial so much as well, it is. Even in the worst situation of an excommunication, that's never for punishment. It's for it's an antidote. It's it's the hope that the person will reflect on that and then, you know, uh, come back to whatever truth that they have fallen away from. But a, a very interesting thing that you you brought up about the, how the Orthodox receive Holy Communion, and you, you rightly said that they tilt their heads back, and then the Eucharist with the precious blood mixed together is then placed into their mouth with a, a small spoon. And the reason why that happens in the Orthodox tradition is because it is gift, purely gift. And so the person is not doing anything. They're just opening their mouth to receive. And it's kind of like the self-wounding pelican, that bird that will pick at its own uh, breast in order to feed the little ones. If she can't find any food, she will give herself. And that's why that's always been a, a symbol of um, resurrection. But that's the idea. Now, in our um, understanding, this is why um, the priest or the person giving Holy Communion says body of Christ or blood of Christ. Um, and then it's just a simple amen, I believe. And it really is the the heart of the, the whole Mass, um, the reception of the body and blood of Christ, whether that's just the Eucharist, that's still the body and blood of Jesus Christ, right? Because the, the consecrated host is the body and blood together. It's a, a beautiful and amazing thing. You have got all the prayers and you've got all the readings and everything, which is in the, it's all leading you to that moment and the kiss of peace before, because you better be at peace before you receive the, the blessed Lord. And then we receive him, you know, and we've got to get back to that understanding of where is this all going? It, that's where it's going. Receiving Jesus, bringing him into me, and I'm being transformed by him in ways that I cannot even imagine. Which means I suspect you're going to have an increase in confessions the next three years. Yeah. And hopefully then an increase in receptivity mm-hmm. for the true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Deacon. Thank you, Father, for coming in and sharing with us about this three-year event of the National Eucharistic Revival. They can find out more information by going to RCBO and putting in revival. Father, would you please lead us in an ending prayer and your blessing? I'd be happy to. Thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, O Lord, listen to our prayer, and you know how much we love you and how much we want so much that everyone should know you in this world and love you in this world, even before heaven. And Lord, we know that um, it is important for us to choose for you. There are great consequences with that choice, and or if we don't choose, there are terrible consequences. Uh, Lord, help us to always walk with you, to love you, to reverence you, and to uh, especially allow that relationship with you to not only change us into um, good people, but also to be um, people that can change the world, inspired and touched by the grace of heaven that comes through the most blessed Eucharist. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today has been Father Al Baca, the Director of Evangelization 
for the Diocese of Orange, and Deacon Modesto Cordero, who's the Director for the Office of Worship, and we've been talking about the National Eucharistic Revival, which is going to play out in our diocese over the next three years. If you would like more information on this, you can go to the RCBO website. If you would like to hear this broadcast again as a podcast, you can go to the OCCatholic.com website. At OCCatholic.com, go to the radio tab, and there you'll find about eight different shows, of which the flagship show, OC Catholic, is there, and it will be posted shortly. Once again, on behalf of all of us at Orange County Catholic Radio, I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will see you again next week.